Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, my guest today is Valentin Schmidt, uh, the uh, editor at Epoch Times, E-P-O-C-H Times.com. Valentin, how are you doing? Hey, Richard. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah. So um, let, let listeners know what does uh, Epoch Times do? Yeah, so uh, I thought your listeners uh, may appreciate in this uh, day and age of uh, compromised and uh, untrustworthy mainstream media to uh, hear about an alternative source of uh, still, uh, mainstream news, but we try to be objective, uh, as objective as possible. And uh, I know everybody says that, but why, uh, why would we have... Um, more credibility, and that uh, lies within our history. So Epoch Times, or the Epoch Media Group, is now the largest, largest independent Chinese-language media group in the world, having been founded in 2000 after uh, a lot of people had to flee China because of the persecution of the spiritual practice of Falun Gong and also uh, because of the freedom of the press that all started in 1999. 2000. And so there were a few Chinese uh, dissidents who came to America and saw that uh, the state, Chinese state media was repeating here in the States, was repeating the same propaganda that they had in mm. the mainland. And they said, we, we oh. should not, you know, put up with that. So they founded the Chinese, Chinese version, reporting truthfully on China, like I said today, uh, largest independent Chinese news organization, independent of the Communist Party in China. And that's how the other language editions got started, the English one, the French one, German, and now we have, I think, 30 languages uh, in print wow. and online across the globe. And um, so basically, uh, our organization is basically A, uh, censored in China, so we are anti-communist you know, party, and B, uh, completely independent also here in the United States because we don't have any corporate or uh, political sponsors, and that's why I believe we can bring um, better reporting uh, to people. Um, and I think obviously right. nobody's perfect, but uh, I really think if you yeah, if you read our publication, you will you will see the difference. So where are the offices? I, I would guess they're not in China. Where where are you guys no. headquartered, and where are people physically? No, so censored in China, and I also know that uh, a few people, who, a few of the founders who are not public because they have, you know, at risk of mm. a persecution also here. But, you know, here's okay. the hazard that this person may be 
And she was at a meeting in China when they wanted to set up something in China around that time. And uh, they arrested everybody. And she got out because wow. she had an American passport. So now we have offices, the main headquarters in New York City in Manhattan, and then big offices in uh, San Francisco and also uh, Atlanta. Okay, got it. So how was the um, the publication? What, what type of news do you focus on? Well, our publication is the general interest uh, publication. We have a few different strategy, but if you read the core product, the paper, and our email list, and our, let's say, senior reporters on, on Twitter, you basically get all the, you know, everything that the New York Times would also cover, but in our opinion, in a uh, much more objective and fresh perspective. And I personally, I focus on business and finance, which is probably why I ended up on this uh, podcast here. How do you, how do you know when you're being objective or not, what steps do you have to take to make sure that you are objective? Well, I think uh, I think the most important thing, that's how, and that's how it starts, is uh, who uh, is your pain master? Uh, who are you really reporting to? And I think the problem that the corporate media has is that they uh, have these uh, insane political ties, either to the Democratic or Republican Party, it doesn't, doesn't really matter where either they sponsor their favorite political candidate, so obviously they have a vested interest uh, of supporting him, or they depend on or they depend on political people for some sort of uh, favors, so they have a vested interest in, in sponsoring them, or they have a vested interest in sponsoring some industry news. And I say this now without making a statement of whether I support it or not, but for example, some people are anti-GMO, some people are pro-GMO, some people, you know, pro-electric cars, some people against electric cars. And usually with the ownership structure, you uh, see very clearly, uh, you can, uh, my experience has been almost 100% that, oh, you look up the owners, okay, this is, you know, where they come from, very obvious. And uh, then in the, on the sort of micro level, on the nitty gritty, it's, it's just that um, when you approach a story that you have put your own feelings or invested opinion aside and just uh, feature uh, interesting content that has a high possibility of being true. Like, for example, I got some criticism recently. I put on Jim Rickards. He went to our station and we did a video interview and he was very negative on Bitcoin. And some people said, so why do you have him say that? And I said, look, uh, he's a credible guy. He's an intelligent guy. And he has a different opinion. Okay, that's fine. I'm, you know, I reserve the right to feature that, although I personally may disagree with it. And I think that's the type of attitude that 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 you would like to have in in reporting. So if I look at um, Epoch Times versus New York Times or other, you know, large papers, how different does it look on a day to day basis? You know, have you have you sat oh, down and did uh, that, done that? Actually, actually, I mean, there's 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 a lot of really major elements uh, there. For example, it's funny, like <laughs> I uh, spoke to my neighbor here in, in in New York and coincidentally, he gets both the New York Times and the Epoch Times and then they lay there next to each other hmm. on his doorstep and the Times is piling up. He says he doesn't even read it because, because he only has it because of the puzzles. He hates the editorial policy. And then you start with a design um, and the New York Times is just like, it has no design, you know, it's like all type. You get a few pictures, one big picture on the front. And Epoch Times, we invested a lot uh, to really make it as accessible for readers with charts, uh, infographics, photo design, different types. 
it's really like a completely completely different uh, ball game. And then in terms of in terms of uh, reporting, uh, like I said, you know, the New York Times they are owned by uh, by the oligarch Carlos Slim in Mexico, uh, who has a, a political agenda, uh, or partially owned by him. And uh, they're basically a globalist, uh, globalist newspaper, mainstream status quo, and they they supported Hillary, which is exactly the same mainstream status quo uh, publication, where we uh, would not explicitly support anybody, uh, but just try to stay as factual as it would be possible in this crazy election cycle uh, last year. I, for example, I wrote a story about the Clinton and the Trump, the economic plans. And although, again, personally, my opinion is always like, if you can cut taxes, then yeah, you should. Um, I think if you read that article, you will be hard pressed to find, uh, to find an editorial bias that present it as good as possible. And then basically say, okay, so one wants to grow the government and the other one wants to reduce the government. And which one you choose is basically it's up to you. But you have those two, two choices. So how do you how do you guys make sure that you're uh, you try to be neutral? I'm sure you find yourself swaying one way or another, uh, and you have to bring yourself back to center. You know how do you do it? Well, again, by staying away from emotion, by staying away from radical narrative, by really uh, sticking to the facts that are at hand, not like CNN, which seems to be making up uh, all sorts of stuff that their own editorial staff doesn't believe about the the Russiagate uh, scandal. And like I said, you know, nobody's perfect. Nobody gets it right all of the time. But I think especially in the supercharged political environment, yeah, we just try to do that as as much as possible. So how much do you feel like people's perceptions are warped from what the reality is? You know, do you feel like most people are just completely, you know, sold the bill of goods or, you know, how real are things and how fake are things? Oh, that's a, that's a fantastic question because to be, to be honest, I mean, that, that affects everybody, including professionals like us who do a lot of research, who talk to a lot of people who think that they would have the better information. But what, what it really comes down to oftentimes is like the truth or, you know, as close to the truth as, as you can get. You can only really find out if you talk to people personally and um, or you, you look at, you review really all the official documentation uh, that exists. Nowadays, it's, it's very hard to find, find the time to do that, even if you're a professional. So if you're not a professional, and and you believe some of the biased reporting, which you know doesn't have to be outright lies, but oftentimes omits a lot of things. Then um, then yeah, obviously if you don't do your own research, then you run the risk of uh, basically uh, you, you know what you believe is, is basically is basically wrong. On the other hand, it's also true that a lot of people they go on the internet and they go to alternative media and they research different things and. But then they also don't do enough due diligence and, and they just also believe the, you know, alternative, I don't want to call it conspiracy theories, but the alternative theories, which also may not be true. So I would say in this day and age, it's, it's extremely difficult with an abundance of information. I mean, it's good that we have a competition that in general, that's a good thing. I think more truth is coming out. But it's it's very hard to to really really be certain and say, yep, this is uh, this is absolutely so uh, with a ninety nine percent or so uh, probability. Is it hard for you guys to research? With you know, I've heard I don't know if it's true or not, but that media you know 
borrows from other media and just repeats the same story and maybe slants it. So oh, yeah, totally. how much work I mean, does it do uh, to do your research? I mean, totally. That thing, right? That's, that's all the stuff like, again, and picking on the New York Times here, they recently had to redact that 17 intelligence agency story. They picked it up and then a ton of other people picked it up and now it's got debunked and probably nobody bothered to look really into it. And that's, yeah, that's a challenge all the time because oftentimes, sometimes you're leading if you have exclusive information and sometimes you're following if you uh, look up a report and you still have to sort of write something about it. And again, that comes down to the due diligence to to really check, well, is that really true or are there different angles to it? And I do feel that that we or I personally have more time to do so than maybe than maybe other people. Why do you feel like you have more time? You have less pressure to, to publish or why? Our paper is just, I mean, the paper in general, but also my approach, uh, my approach Personally, is that yeah? I mean, it's just the quantity is is less, and and the quality hopefully is higher. Um, what kind of readers do you have? Have you profiled who tends to read your paper? I mean, who is it? So we have a target people. If you have in uh, Manhattan, for example, Upper East Side, Upper West Side, the the professionals and the educated professional, those would be would be our target reader and our target market. In fact is the one uh, where people say we are fed up with all this stuff that either the right or the left-wing media feeds us. We want some real alternative, objective reporting. Any feedback you get from, from readers that surprise you or, um, you know, doing your work, what surprises you about it? Uh, well, it's really fascinating that most of the time it's uh, very positive uh, for me personally, but also for the paper. And uh, sometimes, of course, you get some criticism, which is good because you can check, oh, is this really true? So one article I wrote recently about about the stock market, I mean, that's, that's like an easy example. So I wrote an article about the stock market. Most, most mainstream publications, they love the stock market. You know, it's the only thing they write about. They love the stock market. They hate gold. They hate Bitcoin. You know, anything different than establishment stuff, they, they, they don't like. But... And I personally think the stock market is way overvalued. And, you know, so I was thinking, why isn't it go, why doesn't it go down? So I researched uh, some reason why it doesn't go down. And I, through my network of contacts who are all extremely experienced out of the box thinking investment professionals that came up with a couple of good reasons why the stock market is not going down and keeps on going up. So I published that story basically saying, yeah, stocks are expensive, but there are actually a few good reasons why they're still going up. And, and, and that got a lot of good feedback exactly for that, for the nuance uh, being neither uh, promoting or too uh, negative on the stock market. Any, any other news stories that really shocked you or surprised you or changed your beliefs? Oh, I have so much in the last uh, five to 10 years. I mean, I have a finance background. And so, you know, once you... Once you start researching how that really works, there's not that much that that shocks you. I mean, that's basically that's for me that's a central theme, and that's why I think the whole uh, fintech revolution is so important. Bitcoin is important. Gold, to a certain extent, is also important. The people understand it. That you have a debate: what is fiat money? Why do we have fiat money? You know, what is bank money? All this kind of stuff, which I, you know, ten years ago didn't know, but this, I think, I researched fairly thoroughly, and I can say to a certain degree, is problematic. 
So once you understand all of that, there's unfortunately really not that much, which which still shocks you. What about in the um, the Bitcoin and blockchain world? There's a lot of media springing up around it. Do you think it's any less political or is it more balanced, less balanced than the main media or the same? I, I think that's a, that's a very good question because most of the media covering blockchain, they're independent, they're web-based, um, and they also have, nonetheless, they have their own agendas and narratives. Like I think with Bitcoin, it's fascinating, for example. So you have the Bitcoin maximalist, then you have the people who are really into altcoins and to think that uh, Ethereum and the tokens will basically revolutionize everything. So they are having a huge debate. Uh, about that, but I think that is more genuine, genuinely intellectually motivated rather than having a political or business agenda. Although you do see that the people who uh, started out as revolutionaries um, with Bitcoin especially and then move on to the business side and the, the more they get bogged down by regulations and whatever, uh, these these constraints, the more you would think that they're starting to develop an agenda. And I think you had that now with the, with the Bitcoin Cash, where again, the mainstream media hyped it up, in my opinion, out of proportion to find a problem with Bitcoin in general. So, so, so I see that happening, but more, but overall, I think it's a more competitive space and it's a more intellectually genuine space. Even though the people can be nasty and call each other names and stuff like that, I think it's less because they have an agenda and want to control people. I think they're just really convinced of their own opinion. Yeah, you know, what areas of of news do you think are, you know, more independent than others? Which are some of the worst and which are some of the best, do you think? In terms of topics, well I think think obviously, you know, the the so for example, the Bitcoin, blockchain, fintech, I think that because it came from the internet. I think that's definitely more independent and you're going to have uh, more truth in there. Whereas the traditional ones, you have the issue that, that I mentioned that, you know, the mainstream media is basically following their agenda, whether it be right or left, doesn't, doesn't really matter. So politics, the mainstream economics, the finance, uh, geopolitics kind of stuff is, is, is highly problematic. And, and then you have a lot of competition on YouTube, blogs, uh, and you, you get that competition. But, but again, uh, those people may also be following their own agenda and you still have to verify if all the theories they put out there are true. But I can definitely say that the internet for the media business, uh, it increased competition and on the whole, uh, increase the quality of the product and the quality of the choice uh, for the consumer. So I would say uh, in the gold space, blockchain space, and also now in terms of uh, reporting on, on companies, individual companies, I think you have a lot of, of good stuff and a lot of uh, a different different opinions, uh, which may which are probably not too influenced by, uh, by an agenda. What about, um, you know, all of a sudden people are saying there's fake news. I mean, it seems like, you know, it's been around for thousands of years, I'm sure. I know it's not new to me, but what do you think about fake news? Is it real? Is it bullshit? You know, why why all of a sudden is it being talked about? So the fake news, uh, I think that's uh, basically that's another propaganda strategy of the mainstream media, which totally backfired. Uh, but yeah, it has been around propaganda, fake news, you know, disinformation, you know, that exists, like you say, for thousands of years, nothing new. That was just, that was just strategy of the mainstream media to discredit those alternative sources of information, which are basically competing with them. 
and destroying the narratives. So they said, oh, that's fake news. But then President Trump completely turned it around and shot it back in the face by labeling them fake news. And we had some confirmation that that, at least with the CNN and the Project Veritas, unmasking is, is, is to a certain degree is the case. But does that mean that everything that comes from alternative sources is right? No, of course not. That goes back to the original debate that you basically need to verify everything. And I think the only way you can do that is you have to follow certain topics for a long time, but you have to be able to do so without falling in love with a particular narrative that requires then confirmation bias to keep it going and just looking for the things that, that confirm your view on it. If you really want to be, uh, want to go to the truth as much as possible, then you have to be able, if new genuine information becomes available, yeah, you know a lot about the topic, but if new information becomes available, you have to be able to let go of your, of your narrative. And I think that's the real intellectualism that uh, somewhat has been lacking both in the media and in academia uh, for the last uh, couple of years. So what's the plan for <clears throat> Epoch Times over the next year or two years? What's your roadmap look like? Well, for us, it's basically simple. We still need to grow. Uh, we're still a relatively small team, despite having been around. But uh, I'd be perfectly honest. The, the 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 good thing about us is the independence and the and the roots that we have. But the negative side is that on the business side, we've also been a bit weak uh, because because the people who came had always had this. Uh, revolutionary spirit, uh, but not that much business experience, which is why we are, you know, for the Chinese side, definitely doing well. For the English side, also, we have a footprint, but definitely too small and, and we need to grow and we think we have a good product. We have good reporting. Um, now we just need a good marketing and distribution strategy to, to grow that product. And that goes, usually takes, uh, takes time, even if you have a good strategy, you know, it goes bit by bit. So what languages is the publication in and how can people... Um, get a subscription and start reading? So uh, the main languages are Chinese, and that one's the free paper distributed in all the China towns uh, across the world. And then the English one is, is big. We have it in all the major cities in, no, not all the major cities, but at least five, six major cities in the United States on a weekly basis, print paper. And then, of course, our website for English, theepochtimes.com. If you go to epochtimes.com, it's actually Chinese. So theepochtimes.com. And and then um, for the other languages, all the big ones, German, French, Spanish, uh, Portuguese, Romanian, Russian, you name it. We, we have it. You would just have to type in Epoch Times and then and then the language, or you go to our English website and you can, you can pick the language on, on there as well. Well, very good. Valentin, thank you for coming on the podcast, and I really appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to reading and, and learning more, learning things I didn't know. Thanks a lot, Richard. Pleasure being here. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here 
Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, and discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.